Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. Uh, This is Bill Koch, back with you for another season of College Hoops here in the Ocean State. Um, wanted to address a few things off the top. Uh, first, my former co-conspirator, Kevin McNamara, uh, is no longer with us here at the Journal. Um, corporate decisions being what they are in this age of COVID. Uh, I wish that wasn't the case, but it is. Uh, he's branched off onto his own. Um, starting a website, kevinmacksports.com. Uh, you can check him out there. I'm sure he'll be all over the scene at PC URI Bryant this season uh, i wish him the best uh, the podcast will not be called the pick and pop going forward uh, because that's something that kevin and i shared and, and conceptualized and uh you know definitely was something that that we took a great deal of pride in uh at the same time i i wanted to continue this uh it's a good space for me to to sort of get some ideas out there it's a good space to maybe get beyond what we can put in the pages of the journal Um, And thankfully for me, luckily for me, we have a deep bench of media members in the state uh, who follow college basketball very closely. Uh, I've asked a couple of them to co-host with me throughout this season. Really excited for it. Uh, And I've got one of them here now as we start our season previews. uh, And that's Nick Coit, the sports director at ABC6. Coity, pleasure to have you, sir. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm good. How are you, buddy? I am wonderful, thank you. Uh, Coity, if you would, give us the speed dating 90-second intro into who Nick Coit is and what he's about. <laughs> speed? Well, ladies. Uh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I, uh, gosh, I've been at uh, six for almost seven years now. It'll be seven years in February. Really? It's been uh, that long? It's been that long. Wow. Uh, yeah, you. right? <laughs> wow. It flies. Time flies when you're having fun. It really does. Um, I've been the sports director there for over three now. Um, and obviously, I was the, the weekend guy uh, to the legendary Ken Bell before that. Sure. Worked with him for four years uh love kenny um i was in bangor maine before that so you know college basketball up there not as uh not as lively a scene if you will mm. um actually up there it's more about the the women's program I yeah think. the main and, women right yeah and and right. uh you know richard Barron, who's now the men's coach did a great job up there and amy vashon's the coach up there now and uh they've certainly built some some great teams over the years cindy blodgett is a name that always comes to mind up there too of course um yeah so i I started my career up there um so i've been in the business for what 10 years but really bill i'm I'm a plymouth mass native and yeah you grow up there college basketball is not really it's not you know the closest team you think besides you know teams in rhode island it's Boston College, and I I remember the Jared Dudley, you know Craig Smith, those Troy teams, Bell, those, sure. I remember those, and I remember how they were in the NCAA tournament. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't into it, into it. Um, and I really mean this when I I'm not just saying this. When I came here and I got a taste of college basketball and the passion that people have in the state of Rhode Island, uh, I was floored. My first month here, there was two. I think the first two games that I covered. For at PC were double overtime games. I believe it was Marquette 
and I want to say Villanova. Wow, okay. It was 2014, uh, and I'm like, this is awesome. I was I was sitting in a corner for one of the games. I can't remember which one it was. Josh Fortune hit a three for the Friars right in front of me, fell over. Team came over, picked him up, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Mm. And then the next month they win the Big East Championship. Bryce Cotton becomes, you know, the legend that is Bryce Cotton. Obviously built it before that, but that month was it was full Bryce Cotton mode, averaging over 40 minutes a game. Right. Uh, <laughs> and drops 36 on UNC in San Antonio. Uh, and that was my first trip on the job. Like that was just what a baptism that was into college hoops. Mm. So that that really got my passion going for it. And so that's why I'm thrilled to be sitting here talking to you about college hoops because I, I just love it in this area. There's just there's so much passion for it. There really is. Yeah, it, it's unique for us, I think, going into the winter from the standpoint that you know, Boston's a very pro market. Uh, Boston College, even if they're good, isn't necessarily going to make a dent in the Celtics and the Bruins and, and really the Patriots who, who have played into January and, and sometimes into February quite frequently over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, Rhode Island, once the Red Sox are done and, and the Patriots are sort of slowing down, Providence and URI step to the forefront, yeah, and, they and they sort of, you know, they sort of take that spotlight. Um, you know, and the good thing about the last four or five years is that both teams have been good, uh, and, and so it's been a lot of fun to follow them. Uh, you know, obviously, you and I have had some great nights in New York uh, with the A10 tournament and, and the Big East tournament going on at the same time. Um, you know, and you going back and forth from Madison Square Garden to the Barclays Center, uh, Manhattan to Brooklyn. Um, you know, and it's it's definitely something that, that we want to follow forward and, and emphasize. And you know, even though this is going to be a very different season, uh, it's been a very different year for all of us in sports media, in life. Um, you know, we're sitting here healthy, fortunate to have our jobs and, and still be doing what we're doing. Uh, we hope this finds everybody out there safe and feeling well and with your families. Um, And we'll just try to give you a little bit of a diversion here uh, week by week and and episode by episode. And we will start off sort of where you started off with the Friars. Um, You know, they, like everybody else, are are on track to open uh, on the 25th against Fairfield at home uh, at Alumni Hall, not at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh, Providence will not play downtown this year. They're going to play on campus. Uh, the obvious reason for that is they will not have fans at their games. There's no reason to pay the rent to the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Convention Center Authority that they normally would uh, to, just to play in an empty building. They, they have a perfectly fine facility on campus uh, at Alumni Hall where they can host games. Uh, they can set up TV. I'm not necessarily sure whether or not they're going to allow us in. We might be sitting there and watching on Fox Sports like the rest of you. Um, but Providence this year, I, I look at them, the 30,000-foot view, and I think it's going to be more of the same. And for Friar fans, that's a good thing uh, based on recent times. Absolutely. Uh, and I look at the roster and I look at the names at the top, and I say these are guys that have been in the program now for a couple of years, uh, and these are guys that you, you would expect to be leaders and, and step forward. Uh, Nate Watson is a guy. I, I said last year watching the team, as, as wonderful in February as Luan Pipkins was, as much as Alpha Diallo stepped forward, as much as those guys you know, led the way in that winning streak. Mm-hmm. I think I said to you, and I've said to a few people, you know, even last year and especially this year too, when Nate Watson plays well, when A.J. Reeves plays well, and when David Duke plays well, and if all three of them play well in a game, <laughs> look out because the the fry, they they bring so much 
in so many different ways. Uh, Nate is your classic big man, you know, in the Big East. He's a bruiser down low. Uh, you know, love watching him play. Uh, love seeing his dad's reactions on Twitter to it as well. Oh yeah, just sure. outstanding. Uh, <laughs> uh, David Duke is is he's all conference preseason first team for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, he has. He's grown leaps and bounds in his two years. I think he could be one of the best defensive players in the Big East, one of the best defensive players in the country. And Sneaky, a a better shooter than he was coming into Providence as well. Much better. Yeah, 42% from beyond the arc last year. He was fourth in the Big East. That's pretty darn good. Much better. Um, I think the guy that you, you would love to see step forward the most this year of the three is AJ, uh, and he's a he's a great young man with a, with a great attitude, um, and he's he's dealt with his injuries in his two years. But we saw that flash the beginning of his freshman year. You got a taste of what AJ Reeves when he's at the top of his game can do, and I think he's improved in a lot of different ways. And he can score at all three levels. I think a lot of people think of him, Bill, as a three point shooter, knock down in the corner, or whatever. And when right. he gets on a hot stretch, look out, he's got a sweet stroke, but. He can score at all three levels, and I think if he does a little bit of more of that this year for the Friars, boy, he could be he could be really dangerous. So, just to set the stage a little bit, uh, Providence picked fifth uh, by our our friends at Blue Ribbon, uh, which put out a great preview edition every year. I think it's about four hundred pages. The the Ooh, online guide, a lot of reading. Uh, I've read quite a few of them uh, <laughs> as I've sat here on my couch in the pandemic uh, and rarely ventured outside. I'm a good boy, Nick. I follow the rules. Boy, no, it's uh, don't blame me. That's, um, yep. You know, Providence also picked third. By the Big East coaches uh, in the preseason behind Villanova and Creighton. As you mentioned, David Duke, a preseason first team, all Big East pick. Nate Watson named to the second team, uh, all Big East going in. Um, Duke, Watson, and A.J. Reeves are your three starters returning. And really, if, if you're a coach at any school, Big East or otherwise, that, that's a pretty good foundation to build from. Absolutely. Those three guys. Absolutely. And I, I think it's going to be about what's, what's around them, who steps up around them, um, and filling in some of the roles that we saw guys coming together in their specific roles last year with Providence. And I think that was part of the turnaround for the Friars was – Guys recognizing, okay, this is what I need to do well. It's Ed Cooley. You and I have talked about this, you know, off the mics here. Mm. That that Ed Cooley is very much a do your job kind of coach. He finds things in players, gives them a role, and it's it's a Belichickian thing. Do your job, and when when guys buy into those roles, which I think, you know, I think at the beginning of last year. There might have been some difficulty with that, maybe part of the struggle for them early in the season. And once they did, they bought into the roles and they really they highlighted what was great about each player. And those guys sort of, you know, focused in on that. It it all came together. And so they got to do that again. And it's a great foundation to build on. But the guys around them, I think, are going to be key for the Friars. And there's there's a lot of guys to, to look at and choose from that could really step forward for them. Yeah, the, the two primary strengths, I think, for Ed Cooley, and as he goes into his 10th year at Providence, boy, that happened fast. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, you know, as he goes into his 10th season at Providence, I, I think the two primary strengths for Ed Cooley is he's a great recruiter because he's a good relationships guy. Yep. Uh, he's very engaging. He's very charismatic. You can see how he's able to get players and, and sell their parents on his program. Can you see that really? A little bit, Cooley? yeah. A little oh, bit. Wow. Um, you know, and the second thing, and, and you just alluded to it, is the fact that he's able to define roles for his players. I, I think he'd be, if you put him in a business environment, I think he'd be a really effective executive in that way. Yeah. Uh, because he's sort of able to identify what you do well, 
and he puts you in that spot, mm-hmm. and he allows you to do it well. Um, and in, just in basketball terms, whether that's you're a defender or you're a rebounder or you're a shooter or you're an energy guy uh, or you're somebody who can come off the bench and, and be unselfish, he's able to find spots for his guys to to excel. Um, I think this year, obviously, he's got the three guys out front. David Duke could wind up taking a leap this year. If he improves similarly to what he did last season, you mentioned the three-point shooting, 29.7% as a freshman, 42% as a sophomore. Um, He adds that to a game that was already about athleticism and long arms on defense and a willingness to work. Um, you know, that's the type of player you want to build around. A.J. Reeves, the, the questions for me about A.J. Reeves have always been about his health, not necessarily about his ability. Yeah. Um, he's a guy who can shoot it at an NBA level, uh, in my mind. Uh, Nate Watson is the classic college big man, you know, 6'8", 6'9", uh, physical inside, but he's got a really nice touch around the rim, somebody who can finish. How do you fill in around them? Uh, you got some questions. Certainly, but you do have some answers for those. I think Jared Bynum is going to be the starting point guard for this team. I feel like he's someone in the one year we saw him at St. Joe's who who is a classic pass first, ball control, can score it when he needs to point guard. I think he fits in very well with guys who can already put the ball in the basket. Uh, Noah Horkler is is the type of athlete who should be able to fit in at power forward. Um, you know, played at a lower level at North Florida, but produced uh, you know over 16 points a game, over nine points, uh, over nine rebounds a game his last year. Um, you know, and then from there, you you wonder about the bench. Is Greg Gant going to break out? You know, is it maybe in his sophomore season? Uh, what's Ed Croswell going to give you? Uh, LaSalle transfer who who was granted a waiver by the NCAA. We know he's an elite offensive rebounder. Um, how much more can can he give you maybe at the defensive end? Because he is a little bit undersized at the five. And, you know, there are going to be some nights where he's going to have to be a little bit crafty inside against bigger Big East players. Right. Um, you know, what are you going to get at the forward spots? Is, is Jimmy Nichols going to flash at all this year? We know he's a good athlete. We don't necessarily know whether or not he can be a productive player as he goes into his third year. Is Chris Monroe going to carve out a role on this team? Uh, Someone who was billed as an elite shooter when he was recruited, we haven't necessarily seen him play that much. What are we going to see out of Bryson Goodine? The New Bedford native, a four-star recruit, uh, spent one year at Syracuse, was blocked by couple of local recruits, one of them with the last name of Beheim. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's not necessarily going to play ahead of him. Um, you know, but Bryson Goodine is the type of guy who had a very impressive list coming out of St. Andrews in, in Barrington. Uh, you know, somebody who could be a real X factor for this team, a scorer off the bench, uh, somebody who could spell them on the perimeter. But those are all questions. Yep. And, and that group is going to test Ed Cooley to do what he does best, which is put them in spots and let them go forward. But you can look at all of those guys, as you just mentioned, and you can see what they do well, and you can see why the program brought them in. And potentially, on paper, it, it could fit here. It could fit there. You mentioned you know, Ed Croswell. You know, the offensive rebounding for the Friars, especially last year, the way that they played offensively. I know LaJuan Pipkins went off in February, but even then, there were games. I think back to there was a road game in late February against Villanova, which the Friars won 58-54. to Correct. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was gross. Right. But they won the game. And why? Because they were getting on the glass. And, hey, 
<laughs> they defended well. Obviously, you hold Villanova to 54 points. That obviously helps you. But when you add somebody like Croswell to what they're already doing in terms of offensive rebounding, that's going to help you. And it's going to give you second and third chances. And more importantly, it's going to take away possessions and chances from the other teams that you're going to be facing in the Big East. So if you can get more scoring, obviously, on the offensive end, it's going to help you. But that's why I look at a guy like Croswell and I say, okay, he fits here. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at Bryson Goodon and I say, okay, can he fill the Malik White sort of role? You know, and... and mm. Come off the bench, give you some scoring. Um, he's in a talented guards group, um, but he, he can. There's a lot of things he does well. What I like about Bryson when we watch him at St. Andrews, I feel like he's fearless. You know, he is not afraid to go to the basket, sure. and, and that's that's a, a great quality to have. Toughness. That's what Ed Cooley loves out of his Friars. I think there was that 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 quote he had a couple of years ago where. It was something along the lines of, if you don't want to be tough or you don't want to be whatever, then, you know, get out of my program, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's something along those lines. But it was like, you know what? I, you know, you love that. You love that out of your coach. He pushes you to be the best that he can be. And so a kid like that, um, that's those are the strengths that I look at. So, again, we could go through all the names on the roster, but it, it's there's roles, there's things they do well, and you say, can it all come together? That's going to be the key. Yeah, you, you sort of look at them and, and you think – you know, okay, they start off with Fairfield. You know, not not the toughest opponent. Uh, you're playing against Ed Cooley's old school. You should be able to put that one in the column. Yeah. But they have a very challenging non-conference schedule. Uh, you know, playing in the Maui Invitational, starting off with Indiana, who who projects to be a top thirty, top forty-ish type team. Um, you know, potentially playing Davidson next or Texas, who also projects to be a top thirty-ish, top forty-ish type team. Uh, you could run into North Carolina later in that tournament. Um, you're probably going to play three games there that are going to be quadrant one games. Uh, chances are. You play at TCU in the Big East Big 12 Challenge or, or Battle or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> TCU is, is much improved over the last couple of years with Jamie Dixon there, the former Pittsburgh coach. That's going to be a tough game. Um, you know, you, you mix in Fairleigh Dickinson, which is just to sort of stay sharp, theoretically. They are the Northeast Conference favorite. So don't take them too lightly. Sure. Uh, and then you get into the Big East, and, and obviously you come out of the blocks with four games in December. Uh, it's a modified schedule. It's not something that we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, one of those is obviously UConn coming to Providence, uh, a, a game that has been circled on the calendar, I'm sure, by Friar fans and Husky fans since UConn announced they were going to rejoin the league. That was a good rivalry um, prior to UConn going to the American uh, Pour in a little Dan Hurley, and you know, he, he makes it a little bit better. Put in a little yeah. Dan Hurley <laughs> and Ed Cooley in their history. Uh, bring back the Jim Calhoun, Ryan Gomes rant, uh, and how he recruited Emeka Okafor instead, um, and won a national championship, incidentally, and, and won me a huge betting pool that year. Oh, uh, bracket pool that congratulations. year. Congratulations. Uh, UConn great. and Georgia Tech in the final. You, you never forget the ones you win. Well, of course. Uh, and, well, especially and, the ones you lose, though. Yeah, and the ones you lose, yeah, right. which, which hurt mm. a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Duke, in, in UConn in 1999. Yeah. Trajan Langdon, you cost me four figures of, oh. of bracket pool. Oh. That hurt. That's tough. That was tough. Richard Hamilton, 
oh. Richard Hamilton stuck it in me. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was not well, good. I think he did that for a few years after yeah, that, too. that was yeah. not good. Yeah. Uh, as a Celtics fan, when he was with the Pistons, uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure he might have done that a few times, too. <laughs> um, but the Big East this year. Let, let's go into the Big East a little bit. Uh, as we said, Providence picked third by the coaches, picked fifth in Blue Ribbon. Villanova, the consensus favorite. And, and I would say, Nick, at this point, uh, you know, certainly head and shoulders above the rest of the league in terms of their ceiling. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in game-to-game or, or year-to-year performance, but Jay Wright has established them as a top-ten program nationally. I don't necessarily think that any other team in the league can make that claim year in and year out. Uh, Villanova producing pros. Um, you know, Villanova playing at, you know, really a top-ten, top-15-ish level year in and year out. Villanova with All-American candidates this year. Colin Gillespie is one of them. Um, you know, you, you look at them as a clear number one. Creighton's pick second. Creighton's in some preseason top 25s. I'm not as bullish on, on the Blue Jays as some other people might be. Um, you know, I, I sort of look at them and I think if you can defend them and you can stop them from shooting threes, you, you can probably find your way to, to finishing in front of them. Easier said than done, of course. Sure. They are a great offensive team. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then from there down, who knows? I, Seton Hall is going to be very different this season. Uh, you know, they were another team that played at the top of the league last year. Uh, Connecticut is, is coming in from the American. They are talented. They have a couple guys hurt who are going to be out to start the year, most likely. Tyler Polly and a cook a cook. But once they get those guys back, there's a good amount of talent in stores. Um you wonder if there's going to be another team to step forward, whether it's Butler or Xavier or somebody along those lines. But I sort of look at Providence and, and I think to myself, you know, aside from Villanova, if I'm a Friars fan, I'm not necessarily overly concerned about playing any of these other teams. I, I don't necessarily look and think, well, Providence is going to step on the court and be outclassed by this team on paper. I, I don't necessarily see that. Well, and I also don't see with a lot of these other teams the last couple of years when I think of, okay, the Friars are playing Marquette tonight. Marcus Howard's on the floor. Okay, they're playing Seton Hall tonight. Miles Powell is on the floor. There's not these, you know, and maybe those guys will step forward. Maybe those guys will for d- different programs in the league. Um, you know, I know UConn is, is very big, obviously, on James Book Night, but, mm. you know, like, the, there's not. You knew that Marcus Howard was coming to the dunk, and that was the guy you have to key in on. Otherwise, he's going to drop 52 on you and set records. You know, and that's, that's not there right now. And, and you look at Providence's roster and you say, well, they've got some experience in the Big East now. They've faced guys like that. And so you feel pretty good night in and night out in the Big East about what you have going on the floor in terms of, as we said, the top of your roster and your returning starters. So, yes, Villanova is uh, – they're mighty. They, they, it's talent in and, and talent out. It's funny. I was looking over some of, the, some of the rosters for some of the teams in the NBA and – I was watching the draft the other night, and um, <laughs> I saw the Charlotte Hornets on the on the clock, and I was like, "Who the heck is on their roster?" Yeah, and Miles Bridges is on their roster, and I'm like, "Huh, okay, I know that name." And you know, you look around the league, and you know, Pascal is on on a he's with what Golden State. Yeah, like Eric Pascal's there. Dante DiVincenzo is there. He's he was part of he was supposed to be part of a deal for uh, Bogdanovich. I don't know if that's going to happen, but there's his name. Yeah. Um, down in Dallas, uh, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Uh, guard, uh, who the heck is it? I'll think of it. I'll look it up. Josh Hart. Yep, 
is yep. there. Yep, that's Josh Hart. Thank you. Yep. Um, I mean, there's just there's guys all over the league, and so that's the kind of talent that Villanova's getting. You're winning national championships. You're getting into top tens. You're just he's Jay Wright's got a program. It, it is what it is. But yeah. You always feel good when Ed Cooley and the Friars are playing Villanova because they always play them tough. They always do. Yeah, they're able to drag them into the mud. Yeah, uh, Sad- that's it. Sadiq Bey was a first-round pick last year. Uh, actually, this year, uh, last night in the draft, we're, we're taping this on a Thursday. Uh, Sadiq Bey in two games against the Friars last year was 9 for 24. Uh, you know, was fairly ineffective. Providence did a good job against uh, a top 20 pick in, in the NBA draft, uh, you know, and, and split with Villanova last year, um, you know, won one, lost one. Uh, your Big East preseason first team, uh, your player of the year is Marcus Zagorowski, Massachusetts native, uh, the star at Creighton. Yep. Uh, and between him and Mitch Ballack, you you've got two guys on the perimeter who are going to drive them going forward. Um, you know, the other guy that you need to look for is Jer- uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who was the freshman of the year in the Big East, uh, is ticketed to be the next big star at Villanova. Um, you know, front court guy, very athletic. If, if it goes the way it's going now, he'll play in the NBA at some point. Um, you know, but from there, as we said uh, off the top, you start with Providence's front three. Duke, Reeves, and Watson. They can play with anybody in the league. Absolutely. And, and I think if, if you're the Friars, you feel good about that going into the year. Um, you, you also look at the Big East from the standpoint of the NCAA tournament, the fact that there are going to be limited non-conference opportunities for some of the mid-majors this year. The Big East is going to finish in the top three or four or five in terms of Ken Palm, in terms of conference strength overall. Uh, their wins against each other are going to be quadrant one and quadrant two wins. Um, the less non-conference games they play, the less of a chance they have at a bad loss. Um, you know, so that's going to help their metrics as well. Um, some folks in the southern part of the state might say that you know Providence scheduled one too few non-conference games, <laughs> and that they might have been doing that to reach the NCAA tournament, and they might be ducking. You're, uh, you're the, poking the nest. The Rody Rams, Billy. You're poking the nest. I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 just generally, uh, Providence's prerogative is to play in March. It's not to play you or I. It's a rivalry game. It should be played every year. This is a different year. Uh, Providence would be playing that game in front of no fans, uh, not at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. They'd be playing at Alumni Hall. I understand why Ed Cooley's not playing the game. Um, you know, really, it would be an inconvenience for them. I wish he was. I think it should be played every year. But I understand that it's not Ed Cooley's job to make us happy or to honor tradition. It's his job to coach the Friars and get them into March Madness. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, as we sit here in 2020 and 2021, you're going to make cold-hearted business decisions, and Providence is in a position where it can sort of big brother you or I a little bit. Um, your thoughts, Nick? Yeah, I, I I see it from both sides. I really do. Um, and no matter what we say here, no matter what our opinions are, no matter what the opinions are in Kingston, what they are in Providence. Ed Cooley's going to do what's best for his program. He's he said it to us. He's selfish about his program. I can see why David Cox would want this game and and is upset that we're the the game's not being played. We're not going to see it because for for URI, it's a major non-conference opportunity. Yes. Plain and simple, it is because of the conferences, because of the strength of schedules, all of that. It's there. It's a fact. So. Uh, 
selfishly, hey, as a, as a basketball fan, I, I want to see it. We always want to see it. You know, I get it. Uh, and, and especially with, with you know, and I know you're going to talk a little bit about uh, Rody on your next podcast, but it, the, <laughs> the talent that they brought in in the transfer market, Rams fans feel pretty good about what they were able to accomplish and bring in. And so they're excited. They want to see it against the Friars. Right. And I, I'm sure, hey, I'm sure Friar, Friar players would love to play the game too, I, I think, because it's, it's a rivalry game. There's an intensity there, but... Well, players want to play. They want to compete. That's who they are. That's yes. why they're playing where they of are. Of course. But I get it. And I think, I think the big one that really probably took the, the PCURI game out of, out of the mix is the fact that Providence has to fly to TCU. I think if the TCU game wasn't on the schedule, I think there might have been more of a consideration for it um, because there might have been the time there to do it. Um, but, you know, with with PC having to go go down there and play that game, it's it makes it a little trickier. Um, you know, do you want to see the game? Yes, I'd love to see the game. I think it should be played, but I, I understand it. I really do. Yeah, it, it's a game that Providence can not play and still make the NCAA tournament comfortably mm-hmm. if it takes care of its business elsewhere. You can't necessarily say the same thing for URI, just mm-hmm. based on scheduling realities and what they are. URI playing that game on the road, it's a quadrant one game. It's an in-state rolling home and home. Uh, you would not find that arrangement anywhere else. No. Uh, there, there is no other team who would agree to play URI in an endless home and home uh, who's reached the NCAA tournament in six of the last seven years. Right. There, there just isn't one. Right. And the reason for that is you would go to the Ryan Center and you would lose, yeah. which the Friars have done two of the last three years. Um, you know, there's no other team that's going to agree to schedule something like that willingly and lose. Right. Two out of three. Right. They just don't do it. The Power Fives and the Big East have put themselves in a position where they have sort of a monopoly on college basketball, and they have the power, and they have the cash. Um, you know, And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it was a little more equitable. Um, but I understand from the Friar perspective why Ed is not going to play this game. Yeah. Um, you know, He's got Maui, which are going to be three quad one games, potentially. In Asheville. Uh, TCU. Would, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Not exactly Maui, but, you know. <laughs> no, no, in rural North Carolina. Yeah. Um, he's got TCU, which potentially could be a quad one game. And, and then last year, he played 13 quadrant one games in the Big East alone, mm. out of 20. Um, you know, or out of 18, I guess it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rhode Island's played 12 quadrant one games total the last two seasons. Yeah. You know, A10, non-conference, whatever. Um, so Providence is going to have its chances. Uh, last year, it, it took advantage of those chances. They would have been in the NCAA field if the tournament had been played. Um, we wish we were going to have a game. We hope that we're in a position where in 2021-22, we can play this at a full house at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. COVID-19 is behind us. Uh, and might there be a little extra venom in that one? Oh, GK, big time. I think. Oh, big time. Absolutely. And And I... Again, I get it from the Rhode Island perspective, and I get that the, the whole the, the way the story played out and the timing of it, um, you know, with with the announcement that they weren't playing the game, and then <laughs> and then the Fairleigh Dickinson game comes out. It's reported on on social media, right? Um, which, hey, I, to me, I, I actually thought it, it was if you're David Cox and you want to speak up about it, that was the time to do it. I thought it was actually a pretty, I thought it was a pretty smart move to do that for his program. 
when you know he spoke out and he said this game deserves to be played the fans deserve it all that absolutely uh, I think it was a smart move at the time uh, I get it if hey if it rubs Providence the wrong way it obviously did on social media with a uh, certain meme that was tweeted back uh, to you know ah, which of you yes. know again adds to the whole story and the whole mix um, is it a shame that the game's not being played absolutely I want to see it I think it should be played but I get it. I, I get I get it from Providence's perspective. I, I get it from Ed Cooley's perspective. Um, doesn't change the fact that I would want to see it. And I think fans, hey, I know fans won't be in the house for it if it's played or if it were to be played. We might not but, be in the house for right, it if, but, if they had played it. But think about the people in this state going through this time that would love to sit down and watch that game. Right. And that's the disappointing part of it is – right. People would love to watch it on TV. Fans, no fans, you name it. The intensity, I think, between the players would still be there. The rivalry would still be there. But as you said, Bill, I'm looking forward to being back in a full Dunkin' Donuts Center, a full Ryan Center for those two teams going at it because that's when it's really at its best. This is a, a very different year. That's just the latest reminder. Um, you know, We're going to look back on this one in, in 20, 30 years and, and hopefully – you know, we'll be able to say that it made us stronger, it made us better in, in some way. Uh, you know, but it is hard to have that perspective right now. Yeah. Uh, it's something I struggle with on a daily basis. Um, and it's something that I'm sure they're struggling with right now up on the east side. And, and we go to Brown, uh, you know, Brown University, who will not have a season in 2020-21. Uh, that decision from the Ivy League last week. Um, you know, just generally, Nick, uh, I know that you know, in, in Nick's spare time, he moonlights uh, in a couple spots. Uh, first, as a co-host with C- Scott Cordishi uh, on WEI on Saturday mornings. Oh, you name dropped him, great. I did. His head's going to get bigger. That's great. Uh, you know, and secondly, doing some play-by-play <laughs> on ESPN Plus uh, for their Ivy League coverage. Uh, you've done a fair amount of Brown games over the last couple of years. I know you've had a good chance to to get to know Mike Martin well, his players well. Uh, you've gotten a, a feeling for that league, and you've seen Brown compete to be in the Ivy League tournament, uh, especially last season. They they were within a whisker of, of being in the last four. Uh, they were projected to be the fourth team in the Ivy League tournament this year, according to our friends at Blue Ribbon. Uh, you could argue that you know one to seven or eight, this was probably Mike Martin's most talented team coming back. Uh, and so when you see that decision by the Ivy League, who, who was the first league to cancel its conference tournament way back in February and in March, uh, we should have listened to the smart people. We should still be doing that now. Um, you look at the Ivy League canceling its season. It, it's something that felt like it could happen. You hoped that it wouldn't happen. Uh, you sort of were, were going day by day and week by week waiting for the announcement, but hadn't happened yet. Uh, when it finally comes down, and, and you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to speak to Mike, I, I did last week, uh, you, you can't help but feel sorry for, for the Bears and, and you know, for the, the staff there and the players there and you know, what they're going to experience over the next few months uh, without basketball while so many other teams and so many other leagues actually do take the court and have a chance to play. That's the most difficult part of it is the coaching staff there who – does a great job. Uh, they, I think 
not only Mike at the top, but I, I think TJ Sorrentine is is <laughs> he's a college basketball fans know his name, but as a coach, I, I really I think he gets a, a a lot out of his players. You yeah, can he's see good. it. Yeah, it's he's good. it's fun. It's he he has fun with it. You can tell how much he loves a game. Um, I I love Anton Gray and and his he's just tough when he's working with his players. He's gritty. He's like get down in the trenches kind of guy. Like I love watching him at work. You know, with certain guys pregame. Uh, they just they've got a great group over there, and so uh, it's. It, it stinks. It stinks that they're not going to be able to play and, and take the floor, especially in a year, as you mentioned, where you looked at their roster and you said, boy, they could really have a shot in the Ivy League. And it really is because of the bigs on their roster, um, because you've, you've had great guard play from them the last few years. And that's where that's where sort of you look at their roster and you said, OK, who's going to step forward for them this year and fill in the roles left behind by Brandon Anderson, Zach Hunsaker, who you know, both played at a high level for the Bears the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it played a lot. And played a lot. They we're very experienced guys. Absolutely. And But you looked at their bigs and you said, hmm, you know, you've got a, an all-Ivy player in Tamanink Cho. You've got Jalen Ganey, who, boy, when he flashed last year, he flashed. Right. <laughs> and I think of a kid like uh, like Noah Merrin, who was going to be, he was a sit-out last year, played across the street at Moses Brown, came from a D3 program, but right. was, an, was the league player of the year at Skidmore College in the Patriot League. Like, this is a kid that's coming in, another big, another guy that you look at and you say, hmm, okay. Well, I, I wonder. I wonder what they can do with all this size, with all these guys coming in. And you say, huh, wow. And, and especially in a league where A.J. Broder is no longer at Penn. Um, some of the bigs have left Yale. Uh, you had the experience you know, in, that, in that part of the court. And so you said, wow, this really, they could do something with this team. And yeah. that's why it's, it's heartbreaking because they're not going to have the chance to do that. And, and obviously we now know that... that uh, you know, uh, Tamanink chose hand was forced. It really was in terms of you know, transferring out of the program uh, next year. And I mean, the the great part about being an Ivy League athlete. Look, I know it stinks that they're not going to play Bill, mm-hmm. but a guy like T, he's going to go and get his degree from Brown University, correct? <laughs> Which is pretty darn good. No matter how his basketball career ends up, that's pretty good. Um, and it was funny. I. I I was talking with him a little bit, and we were going to try to catch up a little bit. And he just kind of, we, you know, he got he got busy. He's like, I got a paper I got to do tonight. I was like, student athlete, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, um, when I talked to him, he, the thing that stinks about T not being able to play this year because he's a great kid. Um, you know, not only that, but he's loyal to the program. You can tell he really, right. he he took on, he was, he was going to be a captain. He and David Mitchell were named captains recently. And he was asking, he said, hey, do you have some, some video highlights that you could send my way from our, you know, my time at, at Brown? And I said, well, of course. I got, <laughs> we got him up the wazoo. We cover all the games, you know? And right. um, he was like, you know, I just watched that and I got a little emotional about it. And I said, well, because you care. Because you care about the program. You've been loyal to it. You want it to finish here. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation, you know, with the eight-semester rule at Brown. He's not going to be able to play a grad year at Brown. It's just not going to happen. So, But he'll go to a high major program. He'll be a great contributor, finish his career there, and again. Walks out with a with a Brown University degree, which is pretty good. Yeah, I, I spoke to Tamanang as well earlier this week, and uh, you know, I was just looking at his list when he committed to Brown in August 2016. Uh, our friends at Verbal Commits listed him with two college offers: Wow, Brown and UNH. 
Wow. That was it. The Wildcats. That's uh, my, uh, my father's alma mater. Um, you know, he's a, a Lowell Mass native, uh, a guy who played on a NEPSAC Class B championship team at Brooks School. Uh, he played on a powerhouse AAU team with Mass Rivals, uh, a team that won four tournaments his last summer. Um, and had guys like Makai Ashton Langford, David Duke, AJ Reeves, Wabisa Beatty, uh, 11 Division I players on that wow. team. Tamanang was one of them. He was the most under recruited guy out of all of them. Um, the fact that he's a two time All Ivy League player at Brown and, and somebody who is probably going to play if he wants to at a Power Five or at a Big East school next, um, you know, that's, that's just a, a great example of player development. That's something that you really need to focus on in the Ivy League uh, because you are, you're trying to recruit at the highest level possible, yes, but you don't necessarily have everything to offer that a Power 5 or Big East school would. The degree itself, four years for the next 40, that sales pitch is very effective. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a kid who wants to be a pro and he knows it early on and he has the physical ability to do it and he's a top 50-ish, top 100-ish, top 150-ish type recruit, it's going to be hard for Brown to get that kid. They're going to have to get the next tier kid or, or maybe even the next tier kid who's got some warts in his game, might have a couple strengths, might have some bigger weaknesses that, that you're going to have to try and iron out. And, you know, you look at Brown and, and the guy who's probably going to carry it forward, Jalen Ganey, uh, who's somebody who, you know, typically they wouldn't get uh, a 6'9", lean, athletic, shot blocker. You know, as we sit here in year three, Jalen Ganey could play for North Carolina State. <laughs> you know, he's a North Carolina native. Um, you know, but when Brown recruited him, he was 40 pounds lighter, thin as a rail, uh, you know, somebody who wasn't going to be able to play 20, 25 minutes a night. Uh, sophomore year, he's the Ivy League Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. And you wondered what he would be as a junior if he was going to repeat as a Defensive Player of the Year, if he was going to become an all-conference player. Somebody who might add, you know, a jump hook or a turnaround in the lane and, and reliably score 13, 14 points a game uh, and be maybe that sort of paint difference maker that, that Brown hasn't necessarily had since – Probably Cedric Quacamensa. Yeah. Uh, it was probably the last dominant big guy who they had. Because um, you're always able to recruit guards. Colleges can get guards. There are a lot of guys walking around on the street who are six feet tall. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of those guys. Yep. There aren't as many guys who are six eight who can walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so that's why when, when you look at these, these lists, these recruiting choices that these players have, and you look at the offers that some of these guys who are six eight, six nine get. You look at the numbers that they've put up, whether it's in high school or, you know, on the grassroots circuit, you look and you say, really, that kid, you know, he's got an offer from Florida and from Villanova and, and from USC. Why? He's not very good. Well, he's 6'9 yeah. or 6'10 and they he can touch the top of the backboard mm-hmm. and you can teach him the rest. You know, a guy who's six foot and shoots it, you know, and scores 28 a game for his high school and, and, and might win at a, a prolific level of grassroots, he might not have as much upside as the kid who's 6'9", 6'10", who doesn't necessarily have the game yet. Um, so the the disappointing thing for Brown is, yes, they've had good guard play in the past, and they were willing to develop a couple guys this year in Daniel Friday and, and Perry Cohen, who were probably going to be your two starters in the backcourt. Um, but to have the bigs, the frontcourt guys like Cho and like Ganey in place at the same time doesn't happen as often. No. And so that's really the the most disappointing part here. 
uh, for the Bears. And, and you mentioned a little bit of the exodus elsewhere. Um, you know, there's no Seth Towns at Harvard anymore. There's no Chris Lewis at Harvard anymore. There's no Jordan Bruner at Yale anymore. There's no A.J. Broder uh, at Penn anymore. Um, you know, so you, you definitely saw an avenue for the Bears to get there. And, and I think, you know, just generally in the sport, um, I think Brown is, you know, if you look at college basketball this year through the lens of, of Brown, we're going to need to be prepared for things like this, whether it's, you know, two-week shutdowns or games being canceled or games not being played or full conference schedules not being played. Uh, you know, teams finishing the year with, with an uneven number of games. You know, Providence might play. 20 games of the Big East, and UConn might only play 16. Um, you know, you or I might play its full 18 games in the A-10, and LaSalle might only play 14. Um, you know, we're going to see things this year that we've never seen before. Uh, Ed Cooley made that observation a, a couple weeks ago, and I, I think it's important that we try to keep that in mind, that this is going to be unconventional. It's going to be weird at times. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, and you should start preparing for that right now. Yeah, uh, just wrapping up your point on on Brown and the Ivy League. My my big worry, you know, with what's happening with the Ivy not having a season is we we see some of the the graduating talent that you mentioned, but there's also going to be talent now that is transferring out that is going to leave these programs to go to different places because of either, you know, eight semester rules and whatnot. You know, uh, another another name, uh, Bayheim is is leaving and he's transferring out of Cornell. And, you know, you, there's there's going to be a lot of guys. I think Atkinson at Yale, I think he was one of the guys as well. Paul Atkinson, um, yeah. yeah. And so you look at it and you say, my biggest worry for the Ivy, because I think it's been a really competitive league. I think there's been a lot of talent that's come out of the Ivy, is that you hope that guys that aren't seniors, that aren't in that sort of bind, stick around and you you hope that the talent level stays at least relatively where it's at in the ivy because when you have a whole year where you don't have a season it can be tempting for guys to either say you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there i'm gonna go somewhere else or what happens when this happens you know it's it's there's some doubt there and so um you know i i just I look at a kid that's, that has the talent like Jalen Ganey, and I say, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I, I hope he sticks around. Um, I hope that the, you know, the degree, I think, obviously is such a huge, huge part of it if you're an huge Ivy piece. League student athlete. And so, you know, for, you know, somebody like Jalen, though, I'm sure he's, he thinks about, okay, well, now I'm gonna pr- probably going to lose a year here of eligibility because I'm in school and I'm not going to be able to play my four years, you know. So do I play my, you know, next year, my senior year, and then do I go grad transfer somewhere else? I, I think that's that's probably a logical scenario for a kid like that. Yep. Um, you know, I just that's those are the thoughts that go through my head is just I, I hope that the guys that are in these programs stick around because there's so many there's so many talented players across the league. And it, it's been really, really fun to watch the last couple of years. And you would hate that. You know, a situation like this would, you know, derail some of the competitiveness in the league. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just speaking to Mike Martin, he's not as worried about the seniors and, and the juniors potentially for next year because you're already far enough along into your degree. You know, yeah. Jalen Ganey's five semesters into his degree. Right. Has three more to go. You can sort of start to see the finish line there. You're going to graduate from Brown. Which is awesome. You put that on your resume going forward. I, I didn't graduate from Brown. <laughs> or, or any other Ivy League school. I didn't have a chance. You know, I, I mean. So, no, not a prayer You know, so, me. 
right. So he's going to be at a spot in life going into the job market where he's well ahead of me yep. doing whatever he wants to do, uh, whether that's playing pro basketball and then going to work after, um, you know, or whether that's just skipping pro basketball and working at a Fortune 100 company right out of college. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, but that's they're not as worried about the upperclassmen. They, they would be more worried about the freshmen who just came in who maybe didn't even make it to campus. Right. Um, you know, or sophomores who are there who could take advantage of the one-time transfer rule, which we think is coming, um, you know, next year, uh, who could look at name, image, and likeness, which we think is coming for next year. Uh, you know, the sport is in for some major, major reforms here. Um, you know, and certainly programs at the lower level, outside the Power Five, outside of the Big East, are, are typically going to be hurt most by those sorts of things. Uh, you have a better chance for exposure at a place like, you know, Mississippi State or Alabama where, you know, the college team is the biggest thing in town. And you can go to a car dealership and sign autographs for 2500 bucks in a night. You know, you're not necessarily going to have that chance in Kingston. Yeah. Um, you know, or you can go to, you know, you could be a great player in the Ivy League uh, or in the Patriot League, and all of a sudden, you know, the next C.J. McCallum or... Uh, you know, somebody like that decides, oh, I don't want to stay at Lehigh anymore. I want to go to Penn State or I want to go to, to Michigan State and I want to play in the NCAA tournament and play deep into March. Yeah. And I'm almost guaranteed to do it at, at this spot, whether it's Power Five or, or Big East School. By the way, did I say Patriot League earlier for Noah Marin? You did. I, think I, I meant Liberty League. Yeah. I'm getting my, I'm getting my patriotic words mixed up. Sorry okay. about that. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> um, you know, so you're, you're, you're looking at what's going to happen schools like brown you know schools at that level whether it's ivy league patriot league maybe the sort of high academic schools you hope that the degree on hand is enough uh and you hope that the coaching staff has done a good enough job they built enough relationships with players where they won't want to leave yeah um you know and ideally going forward that that's the case um we're looking at the ncaa tournament uh obviously with the Ivy League not playing, that opens up another uh, another at-large berth. Um, I say that we're looking at the NCAA tournament because I fully believe that we will have one in 2021. We will have 68 teams. It is going to be played, and it's purely for financial reasons. These teams cannot afford to not play another tournament this year. We, we could have a whole separate podcast on what that means for amateurism, versus professionals right. versus compensation and whatever else. Uh, but the bottom line is we will have an NCAA tournament this year. There will not be games played in Providence. They're going to go to one centralized location. Uh, the next chance you have to see NCAA basketball in the city will be in 2025 when the first and second rounds come back. Uh, but Nick, we, we definitely have something to look forward to in March. Um, the reasons for that being what they are, financial, purely, has nothing to do with competition or anything else. Uh, it's the fact that they stand to lose another $300 million if they don't play the tournament, uh, which they suffered last year, and a lot of these programs would go bankrupt. Um, it is something to look forward to. And, and I guess it's, even though it is maybe for, for dirty and, and sort of less savory reasons, uh, we are going to see it. Well, you were hinting at it a few minutes ago. The, the race is on to get to 13 games. That's the minimum. They got, these programs want to get to 13 games, 
and that will qualify you for the tournament. And you have to be adaptable in this year. You have to be flexible if you're a program in this year because curveballs are going to be thrown. Mm -hmm. These teams are going to – change-ups are going to come in the dirt. That's what's going to happen with these programs. They're going to be shut down for two weeks at a time. They are going to lose games on their schedule, and it's going to happen. But if you can get there, get to 13 games, get as many games in as you can, if you get 68 teams – that can come together, that can go to, sounds like Indianapolis in March, Right. then you're going to play a tournament. It's going to happen. And it's, it's going to be tough. There are going to be teams that may just get unlucky and have either an outbreak or have something happen where it, it affects their team, it affects their competition on the floor, players they can put out there, you know, maybe – you know, God forbid, maybe Providence has a couple of cases and they lose their starting five and they have to put five other guys on the floor and they still got to play the game because it's on the schedule and they can play it. And they lose a few games and all of a sudden they're not in the tournament. It may happen. It might, it, that might be a scenario. Uh, hopefully not. Uh, I, I hope the best and, and good health and safety as much as possible for all these programs that are trying to get games in this year. Um, and it's if you don't get into the tournament, it may stink. It may, it may be for that reason only. Right. Um, but they're going to play a tournament. Um, and for these players, you know, we can talk about compensation. We can talk about we can talk about the money that's involved. All of that. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is, I think these players, these coaches, these programs, they they do want to play. Of course they do. They want to play. Of course they do. That's yeah. who they are. Yes. That's and who so, they are. And so. They are okay, I, I think, putting this, putting the, the risks in and, and going through what they're going to go through. And, hey, at some point, some of these leagues may go into bubble situations. We're already seeing it. You mentioned it, Mohegan Sun and Bubbleville. And, um, you know, URI will be starting there. Um, and Providence with the Maui Invitational in Nashville, that's a bubble type of situation. Mm-hmm. We might see it with conference play in the Big East. Right. And I know Stu Jackson had mentioned it. Uh, on the Ed Cooley show, I believe it was last night. Correct. Um, and we're recording this on a Thursday, so what, Wednesday? Yeah. Um, and it's something that you, we don't know the second half of the Big E schedule yet. We don't know what it looks like yet. So is it in a bubble? Are they going to – maybe they go to Mohegan Sun. Maybe they come to Providence. Right. Maybe they play at the dunk. Who knows? Right. But we may see that. And if it gets these teams and these programs to the number of games that they need to get into the NCAA tournament, have a shot at it, they're going to do that. I think the next week is probably the most critical week uh, of the season, and and I say that you know with all due respect to what's going to happen in February, March, and getting into your conference tournaments and, and trying to make the NCAA tournament. If you can get through the next week and you get the overwhelming majority of students off your campus and away from your players, and your players are that much less exposed to other people who could have the virus you have a chance of playing 10 to 15 games right out of the blocks through January. Yeah, You have a really good chance to do that, Mm -hmm. I think. If your guys are disciplined, if they're able to sit in their dorm room alone, which is going to be really hard. You and I are in college. I know what it's like on a Friday or Saturday night, or maybe even a Thursday or (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) Let's not go through the whole week. Sorry, sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, I know how hard that is. You're, You're a social being. When you're 18 to 22 years old, uh, you know, these guys are used to 
being around people and and being popular and you know being attractive and sort of being out there that's yeah. that's you know it it comes with the territory of course um you know they are not geared to sit there in the dorm room you know maybe do their homework maybe play some video games that that's generally not the college kid that i knew you want to be yeah, out. Well, you and did. I both went to school in Boston too, so that was that's true. You st- you sit inside, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're you know? you're probably doing it wrong. Right. Uh, so it's and tough. I, and I did it wrong more often than I should have. Um, <laughs> you know, but you it, it's definitely going to be a, a really good test of you know just how disciplined your players can be off the floor as well. Um, you know, we wish that they didn't have to do that. Uh, yeah. But the reality is, if if you do want to play games and you do want to play a season. You're going to have to make some significant sacrifices this year, uh, and you're going to need to decide what you really want to do. I, I look back at the Red Sox over the summer. Uh, the fact that Major League Baseball did not have bubbles uh, and and they were traveling um, throughout the two or three months that they did play, and the Red Sox after summer camp didn't have any positive tests. Uh, you know that was a Red Sox team that, that was terrible. Um, you know that really had a tough season that was out of it from very early on, and still all of their guys didn't expose themselves they weren't out in new york they weren't out in tampa they weren't out in philadelphia um you know they behaved in a way that allowed themselves to get on the field and play the full 60 games yeah uh, and not have any reschedules um you know so i i think it is possible it's going to be difficult i think it is possible um you alluded to it earlier the ncaa tournament they're going to protect they're going to protect that above all else they're going to look at indianapolis that's the default location for the ncaa who has its offices there uh lucas oil stadium is set to host the final four uh, the home of the colts uh you have some natural spots to play there whether it's hinkle Fieldhouse at, at butler uh bankers life Fieldhouse, which is where the pacers play uh you've got college campuses within an hour drive you, you put the teams up in hotels they have enough hotels to host a super bowl and host conventions so you're going to have enough for 68 teams you house them in the city you bust them to practice venues or to game venues. You can keep them isolated away from whether it be hotel workers, bus drivers. Uh, you know There won't be any fans at any of these games, so you're going to keep them away from the fans. You have a chance to do this. The NCAA has had a lot of time to plan for this. Uh, at that point, we get into March, you're going to be a full year out from when you had to cancel the 2020 NCAA tournament. So you have a chance to pull this off if you're organized and you're disciplined, but that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect along the way. No, of course not. It's not going to be 100% because you you mentioned a team like the Red Sox, and uh, yeah, absolutely, they got through it. But early on in the MLB season, the Miami Marlins went through what they went through, and it was it was a lot, but they rescheduled things. They 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 pushed games here. They pushed games there. Okay. You can't play and you can't play. So I think the Yankees were supposed to play them early in the season. You know what, New York? Why don't you go to play? Why don't you go to Baltimore? Because they were supposed to play this team. So right. you guys play games. That's right. Which is funny that you, you, you think about that and you say, well, gosh, say, say Providence had a game on their schedule and all of a sudden they can't go here, they can't go there. And maybe URI loses a game here or there on their schedule. Bill, there's a scenario where it might call David and say, hey, we got to get a game in here, or we got to get two games in here. Let's play. It, it, 
I mean, I don't know how likely that would be, but those sorts of things could happen. I say those two teams, but maybe Ed calls, you know, maybe they lose the Fairleigh Dickinson game and he calls Jared Grasso too. I, I don't know, you know, but you're smiling at me. <laughs> this, is, this is the talk radio anarchist in you coming out here on the podcast. I'm That's what saying. this is. This could, th- there are scenarios where these things could happen. You have to be flexible in a year like this. Ed may call, you know, Jim Christian up at Boston College and say, can we make the hour drive and play you guys? Right. there like there's schools there's places to go so you have to be flexible in a year like this there's going to be like i said curveballs splitters in the dirt you name it that's what's going to happen with these as the baseball guy coming out of me right now of course yeah <laughs> but that's what's going to happen in a year like this so again the race is on to get to the minimum amount of games for these programs and so if they can do that they can put a tournament together As you mentioned, they can go to Indianapolis, a good spot. Like you said, a Super Bowl city, a great city to host a Super Bowl, from what I've heard. Ken Bell sung its praises back in, what, 2011 when the Patriots were there. It's it's a very condensed downtown. They have a lot of hotel space. Um, Most of those hotels were built in the last 20, 30 years. Um, So it is is a good spot. Um, As as a media member, I've I've enjoyed it. Uh, I had a chance to go out to Providence playing Butler uh, on New Year's New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, okay. uh, a few years ago, and, and it was uh, it was enjoyable for sure. Yeah, uh, I did like the downtown, um, you know. But I, I think your larger point is that this is going to require a bit of ingenuity. Yeah, um, you know, adaptability, flexibility. Those will be the buzzwords throughout the season this year. You know, even more so than talking about the bubble and and talking about you know the quadrants and and the net rankings and whatever else. We we are going to have you know some real humanitarian considerations to make along the way yeah um you know ideally we won't have to do that here on the podcast uh we are wearing masks and uh sanitizing and hopefully i won't need to quarantine away from coit or (laughs) or uh, anybody else over the course of the year um you know we've sort of had to do this for a while now for eight months uh sort of cover sports in a in a different way um and ideally this this podcast going forward will be sort of a space where we can just talk about the teams and talk about the games as as much as possible um you know and get down into the nitty-gritty of stuff that that ultimately really doesn't matter all that much but but we can give you a little bit of a diversion week in and week out uh you know looking at the three local teams who will be playing Ken Bell always kept it in perspective to me, uh, the job that we get to do, Bill. We work in the toy department. Yes. In the newsrooms, you know, that we work in. We are, we get to have the fun. We get to talk about college basketball. We get to talk about games and talk to players. And generally speaking, I think people are happy to see us sometimes when a camera and a microphone shows up. Oh, maybe you. Maybe. (laughs) Put on a smile, you know. (laughs) Certainly not me. (laughs) But, you know, the the point is we we get to do this. and, And I'm... I'm thankful for the people that are doing the work right now that, you know, keep us going in this country and in this world right now through a pandemic. You know, the frontline workers, you know, I think of my my sister Molly has been she works at Beth Israel in Boston. She's been treating covid patients since March. Um, And and unfortunately, you know, she had a battle with it herself. And, And so I think of people like that who are doing the work right now to try to get us through this time. And uh, it's and I think of, you know, (laughs) I think of the kids, too, in in regards to I think of student athletes in college, student athletes in high school, 
Bill, this is such a difficult time, especially for these seniors and these these kids that this is supposed to be the culmination of their four years of high school, four years of college, you know, their their careers and they're going through all of this. Right. I can't even imagine what no. that's like. And you mentioned, you know, kids being cooped up in their rooms trying to get through and try to play games and trying to separate from the world and uh, I give them so much credit for, you know, even being willing to do that in order to have the type of experience that they want to have, at least in some form, you know, on the court, on the field, you name it. So um, it's it's difficult for everybody in their own way. Um, but I'm thankful that we get to sit here and as much as possible get to talk about what we like to talk about. No, same here. I, I think about my brother Tom, who, who's a firefighter in Pawtucket and a first responder. Uh, you know, my cousin Katie, who's a nurse. Uh, my friend Allie, who's a nurse in Boston. Um, you know, the difficulty that they go through on a day-to-day basis just to do their jobs. Um, the sacrifices that, that they make. Um, you know, it, it makes what we do seem a little bit trivial. Um, you know, we sometimes we think it's the most important thing in the world. You know, whatever game we have, or we need to make deadline, or we need to make air. And you know, I, I think this year has has given us a lot of perspective uh, on what's really important and what's not. Uh, I've often said to people this year that I'm 2020 good. I'm not totally good, uh, but I'm good enough for this year. Uh, and hopefully next year I, I can be a little more greedy uh, and the year after. Yeah. But, um, you know, folks, thanks for joining us on this first episode of the Providence Journal College Basketball Podcast. One, one of these days we'll come up with a name, uh, I guess. We'll brainstorm. Uh, We've had a couple on the table and we're not, I don't know, something will click. You know, it's, it's not going to be this day, uh, but potentially it could be a day in the future. Um, but we look forward to being with you all this year. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope you do so again. Thanks for welcoming me, Bill. This is great. Of course, Nick. Thank you. And I do echo, uh, Bill, what you are saying. Uh, you know, everyone, I hope uh, you are staying healthy, doing your best to uh, to uh, prevent um, uh, COVID, uh, prevent uh, contracting it, spreading it. Uh, if you do uh, get it, you know, obviously there are pro- protocols to uh, quarantine and, and try not to try not to uh, pass it on uh bill it's it's been a pleasure it uh i hope that uh when 2021 rolls around we will have a brand spanking new shiny team we can talk about and possibly uh start thinking about setting up the playoff rotation that'd be excellent (laughs) okay thanks again bill thanks bill